Take your Bibles and turn with me to Hosea. What I'm going to do is I'm going to switch my message that I had prepared for this evening. I'm going to preach that this morning. And then I'm going to take the message I prepared for this morning and preach it this evening. And if you wonder why I'm doing that, I'm just, just trying to keep it real, right? Just so you don't account on me doing the same thing every, every Sunday. No, seriously, as I prayed this morning and I prepared uh, both messages yesterday, particularly I mean, I prepared both messages for some time now. Yesterday, particularly as I was looking at these messages, I thought, boy, maybe I should put this one in the morning. And as I prayed this morning, that was what the Lord laid on my heart. So we're going to talk this morning about an earnest expectation of the Holy Spirit's work. And if you're going to understand this message, it will help. It will help quite a bit if you've ever planted anything. So how many of you have ever planted a garden, uh, nurtured house plants? How many of you kill things? I'm not very good with plants. My wife does great. I don't do well with plants. And I've never done particularly well with plants. I'll be glad to help dig holes, put water on things, but you don't really want me to touch your plants. I was in college and a lady had hired me to do housework. And while I was gone uh, to Oregon during the summer, I came back to my school in the fall and the lady's husband had passed away. And it was a sad time for both of us. I knew both of them. And she said, I want to plant a tree in my husband's memory. And I said, that's a great idea. She said, I'd like you to plant it. I said, that's a terrible idea. <laughs> no, seriously, that's a terrible idea. She said, no, I really want you to do it. I said, no, I, I, everything I touch, it just sort of dies. I would feel terrible if you planted this tree, if I planted this tree in your husband's memory, and I have a lot of respect for your husband, and the tree died. She said, nope. The, the uh, nursery worker, uh, tree nursery, you know, worker assures me you cannot kill this tree. I said, okay, I'm just telling you up front. So I planted the tree for her, came back the next year. The tree was dead. She said, the nursery worker said, I don't know what happened. This tree shouldn't have died. I said, you had me planted. <laughs> Serious, that's a true story. I, so I'm not, I'm not a farmer, praise the Lord. <laughs> I would starve to death if I were a farmer. But it helps to understand the concept of planting and watering, and then, of course, at some later date, harvesting, taking uh, the benefit, having a benefit from what you planted. Here in Hosea chapter 10, let's look at verse 12 together. Hosea 10, 12 says, Sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. Sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. Let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit to help us understand the passage and to stir our hearts to break up our fallow ground. Heavenly Father, again, we've come to you, many of us, with joy, sincere joy in our hearts from, from your spirit, your Spirit filling us and directing us and seeing the great blessings, the good gifts that you've poured out upon us. We are so thankful this morning. We say with the psalmist, happy is that people whose God is the Lord. We thank you. Others, Father, I know I've already talked with them are burdened because there are trouble. There's burdens. There's difficulties. They feel like they're in a in a dark room with no lights and they don't know where the door is. And I'm asking, Father, for them that you would lift their spirits because you are a God of all comfort. That you'd give them grace because 
they, they need to know that there is hope in Jesus Christ. They need to see that in their pain and in their weakness, you can be exalted and glorified. So I ask for them as well to be able to focus on this passage. And for all of us, for Elmira Baptist Church, for our guests this morning, that we would catch a new vision for what you're doing in our church, a new vision for what you're doing in our community, a new vision for what you're doing in our country. And we ask these things. We love you, Father. You love us so dearly. We love you because you first loved us. And as I prayed earlier, so committed to this relationship. Help us to be as committed as you are. And we ask these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Hosea 10, 12. Sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. Uh, Hosea is written at a very interesting time in the history of Israel and of Judah. Hold your place there in Hosea 10. We're going to look at some other verses quickly. But Hosea chapter 1 tells us the names of the kings that were in power when Hosea was written. Hosea 1.1 says, The word of the Lord that came unto Hosea, uh, the son of Barry, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. Uzziah and Jeroboam in particular are the high points in late Israel's history and in late Judah's history. I don't mean the high spiritual points. Don't misunderstand me. Not high spiritually. But economically and militarily, some of the greatest uh, kings of, of Israel and Judah were at this time, Jeroboam and Uzziah. You're still there. Hold your place there in, in Hosea 10. Go back with me to 2 Kings chapter 14. 2 Kings chapter 14. And uh, as you're going past that, you're gonna, we're also going to be in 2 Chronicles. But 2 Kings chapter 14 says this, verse 25. He, this would have been Jeroboam, Jeroboam king of Israel. He restored the coast of Israel from the entering of Hamath under the sea of the plain, according to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he spake by the hand of his servant Jonah, the son of, the son of Amittai the prophet. Anyone remember Jonah? That's another book of the Bible, but it says that Jeroboam restored the coast of Israel from Hamath, which is way in the north, way well past Dan, which is usually considered the northern limit of Israel, all the way to the Sea of the Plain. Uh, I mentioned 2 Chronicles. If you can find 2 Chronicles chapter 21, we're going to see Uzziah. And we'll just look at verse 15, 2 Chronicles 21, verse 15. Um, Excuse me. 2 Chronicles 26, I was looking at 21, it didn't work. 2 Chronicles 26, verse 15 says, And he, this is Uzziah, made in Jerusalem engines invented by cunning men to be on the towers and upon the bulwarks, to shoot arrows and great stones withal, and his name spread far abroad. For he was marvelously helped till he was strong. So Jeroboam in the north and Uzziah in the south represent a high point militarily and economically for the country, the nations of Israel and the nation of Judah. But you know, if you know history, you know what's coming. Judgment is coming because the, both Israel and Judah have followed after idols rather than following after the true God. And the judgment is coming in the form of Assyria. Assyria is going to demolish Israel and carry many of them away captive into exile. They're going to come right up to the walls, the gates of Jerusalem. 
And the only reason they don't capture Jerusalem is because God sends his angel and kills 185,000 soldiers in one night. Otherwise, the Assyrians would have captured Judah as well. So Hosea is writing at an interesting time because the people feel secure. They feel like things are going well. I mean, Jeroboam's a great king and Uzziah is a great king. And what could possibly go wrong? And he's saying, listen, you need now to sow to yourself in righteousness. Reap in mercy, for it is time to break up your fallow ground till the Lord come and rain righteousness upon you. Now, every Christian, regardless of our time in history, what time in history you live, every Christian, regardless of where you live, you ought to have an earnest expectation that the Holy Spirit is going to work in your life, that he's going to work in your family, that he's going to work in your community, and that he's going to work in your nation. But sometimes we forget that. We think the Christian life is mostly about us working. And by the way, the Christian life is work. Be diligent. But the Holy Spirit's work is invaluable. And that's why in this verse it says, till he come and rain righteousness upon you. You recognize the symbolism. The Holy Spirit is often symbolized by water. And water is absolutely necessary for plants to grow. Even in the Mojave Desert, It's amazing what happens after one of those monsoon rains comes through and drops a couple of inches on the desert. It may only happen every other year or even every fifth or sixth or seventh year, but they'll have this big rain come and drop uh, uh, water on that desert and the whole desert blooms in just a few weeks because water is absolutely essential for plant life. And in our spiritual lives, yes, there's a sowing that we need to do. And there's a work that we need to do, a planting that we need to do, but we also need the Holy Spirit to come and rain righteousness upon us. So if you're expecting rain, if you're expecting rain, what article do you often carry with you when you're expecting rain? An umbrella. Now, we don't do this in Oregon. If you've ever lived in Oregon, you know nobody carries an umbrella in Oregon. Two reasons. Number one, it rains a lot and you get tired of carrying an umbrella. Number two, it doesn't really rain all that hard. A lot of misting. How many of you, though, have lived in Florida? Do you carry an umbrella in Florida when it rains? Yes, because it comes down in buckets. One of the first times that I was in the South, we were driving. You know, I wasn't. My dad was driving. I was a teenager. We were driving. And uh, it started to rain, you know, pretty, pretty big drops. But my dad started seeing people pull off to the side of the road. And we were from Oregon. We were like, why are they? Why? All of a sudden, boom. It was like somebody literally took a bucket and your windshield wipers are going back and forth as fast as they can. And we can't get the water off the windshield. That type of rain, you better have an umbrella. So let me ask you a question. If we really have an earnest expectation of the Holy Spirit's work in our life, are we carrying an umbrella? What are we doing? What are we planting in our own lives So that when the Holy Spirit comes and he rains righteousness upon us, there is something to grow. In John chapter 3 and verse 8, the Bible, Jesus, in talking to Nicodemus, likens the Holy Spirit to wind. And it reminds me of a story, uh, the Holy Spirit being wind, reminds me of a story, true story about Hudson Taylor. And as you know, Hudson Taylor was from England. He ministered most of his life in China, and so he would travel by ship from England to China, from China to England, and on one of these trips, I don't recall which way he was going or even exactly where he was, the ship was becalmed. 
Now, most of us don't even know what that means anymore because we don't travel by sailing ship. But what that means is you reach a point where the wind dies and you're out in the middle of the ocean. And because there's no wind and you're on a sailing ship, you can't go anywhere. And at first, it's not terribly troublesome. You know, a day or two, it's just part of the part of the trip. But if it goes weeks, sometimes you can run out of food. So the captain was beginning to be worried. He went to Hudson Taylor, who is known to be a Christian and, and a great man of prayer. And he said to Hudson Taylor, listen, I need you to pray that it, the wind starts up so that we can get the ship moving or we're going to be in trouble. And Hudson Taylor said, that's great. I, I'm going to start praying. He said, I'd like your men to go and put out the sails. The captain said, no, 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 you don't understand. No, no. There is no wind. He said, yes, but you want me to pray for wind, don't you? Yeah, yeah, so I need you to put out the sails. No, no, you don't understand, there's no wind. Hudson Taylor said, listen, if you're not going to put out the sails, I'm not going to pray for wind. And the captain said, okay, whatever, you just start praying. So Hudson Taylor started praying. Captain went up, told his men, start putting out sail. The men are like, but there's no wind. He said, just put out sail. Sure enough, as soon as they got the sail out, the wind came. But if we're not willing to put out our sails, why do we expect the wind to come? If we pray for the Holy Spirit to work in our lives, if we pray for the Holy Spirit to work in the lives of our children and our parents, if we pray for the Holy Spirit to work in our church, we pray for the Holy Spirit to work in our country, but we're not willing to actually do anything, should we be surprised that the Holy Spirit doesn't do anything? So to yourselves in righteousness, he says, it is time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. There's a saying, maybe you've heard it. When is the best time to plant a tree? Anyone heard this saying before? When is the best time to plant a tree? John's honest enough to say no. Anyone heard this saying? The best time to plant a tree is yesterday. Because it takes so long for a tree to grow. But the second best time to plant a tree is today. You can't plant it yesterday, but you can plant today. And I want you to hear my, my heart for us as a church. I'm not worried about what went on yesterday or in the past. We can't change that. We can change what goes on from today forward. We want to plant to ourselves in righteousness. We want to reap in mercy. We want to break up our fallow ground. We want to seek the Lord because we have an earnest expectation that the Holy Spirit is going to come and he's going to work in our lives He's going to work in our families. He's going to work in our church. He's going to work in our community, and he's going to work in our nation. So let's start with that first phrase there, so to yourselves in righteousness. I've changed it to a little bit newer terminology, plant. Plant righteousness, God is telling us. Now, if you look at verse 13 with me, it says, Ye have plowed wickedness, ye have reaped iniquity. You've eaten the fruit of lies because thou didst trust in thy way, in the, multitudes of thy, in the multitude of thy mighty men. Hosea says, listen, the trouble you're having now, the iniquity you're reaping now, the lies that you are struggling with now are a result of what you planted in the past. There's a verse that says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And from that verse, we take a very common uh, phrase. You reap what you sow. If you sow evil, then you will reap the results of that evil. And if you sow righteousness, you can reap the results of that righteousness. 
And the best time to start planting righteousness is today. You say, but I've got so much evil in my... That's okay. You can't change that, but you can plant righteousness today. We're currently reaping the United States and, and our nation, our, our community is currently reaping the results of decades of choices to plant wickedness. This is one of the reasons, one among many, one of the reasons that I can see that the word of God is true. I grew up in the 70s and in the 80s. And I remember people in the 70s and 80s saying, you watch the seeds that America planted in the 60s, the free love, the sexual revolution, they're going to grow into something monstrous. And guess what? They're right. We don't even know what marriage is anymore. But it didn't start in 2015 with the Obergefell decision. It started with our decision as a nation decades ago that we were going to separate marriage and intimacy and babies. And when you do that, you end up with a lot of confusion. We took God out of schools. Some of you were around in the 60s. I wasn't. When they decided that prayer was going to be outlawed from schools. And the Bible couldn't be studied in schools. And what's the result of that? Well, I have here a headline, and I'm just going to read you the headline. After school Satan club causes stir at California elementary school. This is a result of us saying we don't need God in school. Now, if you would have asked the Supreme Court back in the 60s, do you want after-school Satan clubs in the schools? They would have said, no, 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 we don't want that at all. But when you remove God, you leave a void. And other things come in to fill that void. We're reaping the results of our decisions in the past. Here's another article, and these both I just, just picked up this week, just thinking about this sermon, realizing these are the seeds that we planted decades ago. Now we're reaping the results. We plowed wickedness. This is Hosea 10.13. You have plowed wickedness, and now we're reaping iniquity. Target. How many of you have ever shopped at Target? Okay. Target says organized retail crime has driven $400 million in profit loss this year. You can read the article for yourself, but why is it that people think they can just steal from stores? Because we've taken the Ten Commandments out of school. We used to teach our children, thou shalt not steal. I remember as a boy, you know, I, I was foolish. And I took things that didn't belong to me. And as soon as my parents found out, guess what I had to do? I had to return those things, sometimes with some sort of other thing. And I had to also ask forgiveness for stealing from the person that I stole from. And I figured out really quick, I don't want to steal. It's a bad idea. But if we don't teach our children that, are we surprised when they say, boy, I can just take stuff off the shelf? And if nobody catches me, it must be okay? See, if we sow wickedness, we'll, we will reap iniquity. But here's the good news. If we sow righteousness, look what it says we'll reap. We'll reap mercy. And doesn't our nation need mercy? 
Sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy. We're going to get to reap in mercy. Let's talk about what do we do if we want to plant righteousness, if we want to sow to ourselves in righteousness, what do we want to do? Well, number one, we want to start today. (laughs) Don't wait. Don't say, well, you know, the holidays are coming up and I see a lot of things that I would have. I think I'll wait until January 1. No, I'm not asking you to make a New Year's resolution. I want you to start today. Say, well, I've got some guests coming and it's just going to be a really busy week. Why don't I start? No, no. I want you to start today because the best time to plant a tree is today. Be intentional. Consciously build into your lives healthy spiritual habits. Here's the three that we've talked about so far. Number one, prayer. Excuse me, we've talked about four. Prayer, meditation, giving, and being filled with the Spirit. Now, maybe some of you started working on those when when you first heard about them. Fantastic. Keep working on prayer, meditation, giving, and being filled with the Holy Spirit. Tonight, we're going to talk about a fifth one, and that is Thanksgiving. Learning to have an attitude of gratitude that comes from being filled with the Spirit and having our eyes open to what God's doing in our lives. But there are other habits that we could be building. How is your Bible reading? Is your Bible reading this past week been as, as good as it's ever been in your life? If you'd have to say, well, you know, no, Pastor, actually, it's been better. I encourage you to sow to yourselves in righteousness. Is there somebody this past week, I'm thinking of a family member or a coworker, somebody that you deal with on a regular basis. Is there somebody you said something harsh to, you said something uh, um, cruel to, and you really need to go back and say, I was wrong. Forgive me for my harshness. And, and determine that from today on, you're going to be more careful about what you say. See, if you'll plant to yourself in righteousness, guess what? You will reap in mercy. Now, I have to warn you that you never reap. Well, I shouldn't say never. You rarely reap the same day that you plant. And this is our problem. Sometimes we'll start a new spiritual habit. We'll do something that we know is right. The Holy Spirit's leading us to do it. Okay, I'm going to do it. We do it day one. Nothing changes. We do it day two. Nothing changes. We do it day three. Nothing changes. And pretty soon we fall back into the old habits of not doing it at all. And we say, well, it didn't work. Well, if I go out today and I plant corn in the ground, should I expect to eat it for dinner this afternoon? Maybe next week. No, here in California, it's going to be summertime, July, August, before I'll harvest that corn. These fellows out here that planted these trees, these are almond trees. They know they're not going to get a crop for four or five years, but they planted them anyway. Plant today. Be patient. We're going to hold your place in Hosea chapter 10 and go to James chapter 5. I want you to see two verses there because we're going to come back to them later in the sermon. James chapter 5 verses 7 and 8. I want to encourage you when you plant, when you sow to yourself in righteousness, be patient. Keep working at it. Persevere. Don't give up. Don't get discouraged if things don't change right now. James chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. James tells his readers, James 5, verse 7, Be patient, therefore, brethren, Unto the coming of the Lord. By by the way, how many of you believe the Lord is coming back? Amen. Amen. 
That's what he's talking about here. You say, well, I think we're really close to the Lord returning. And if I, if I sow to myself, if I sow to, right, to, to myself in righteousness now, I might not reap. Don't, please, please don't think that way. James is saying, don't, don't think that way. Be patient. Therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Look, the, look at the illustration. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he received the early and latter rain. Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. It's getting closer all the time. Now, James wrote that just big round number 2,000 years ago. If the coming of the Lord was close 2,000 years ago, it's even closer now. And what is James telling us? Be patient. Keep planting. Keep planting. Keep planting. The husbandman, he waiteth for the fruit, for the early and the latter rain. You'll want to hold your place there in James chapter 5. Now go back to Hosea chapter 10. Let's look at this. Sow to yourself in righteousness, reap in mercy. I was challenged way back in the 1990s. So this would have been, what, two, two and a half decades ago now. Through some preaching that I heard, I was challenged to pray for this unusual and fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit for our nation, for the United States. And I can tell you in the last two and a half decades, things have gotten worse. So what am I going to do? I'm going to keep praying. Because if you take one thing away from the message this day, I want to, to, today's message, I want you to take this away. The only way that righteousness is going to be restored to the United States is through a new work of the Holy Spirit. It's not going to be who you elect. By the way, the elections are important. I got informed. I voted in the last election. And I plan to vote in the next one. But I'm not trusting a change in government to change our nation. It's not going to be because all of a sudden churches get more organized and get better programs. We've got a lot of good churches with programs. By the way, if you don't like the unorganized nature of our church, I can suggest a more organized church for you. And I'd be glad to. I, I don't want you to be frustrated by this. I really don't. But I'm absolutely convinced that you can have a highly organized church that is completely ineffective in the community. Just completely. Because without the power of the Holy Spirit, our labor and our organization doesn't amount to much. We need more of the Holy Spirit's work in my life, in your life, in our lives. That's what we need more of. Sow to yourselves in righteousness. Notice the next verse, reap, or next uh, clause, reap in mercy. I'm still in Hosea 10, chapter 10, verse 12. Reap in mercy. When you sow to yourself in righteousness, as God asks you to, guess what? You reap mercy. And we all, whether you recognize it or not, you received God's mercies this morning. You say, well, you don't know me really well. Then, No, no, I don't know you well, but I know Lamentations 3.22. Let me read it to you. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. When I woke up this morning, I sat down to have my time with God. I said, Lord, thank you for your mercies this morning. Because they're different than the mercies I got yesterday and earlier this week. Whether you recognize it or not, it's of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. But we need more of God's mercy. We need more of God's mercy for our own selves, for our families, 
for this church, for our community, for, for our nation? Think with me. Do we want God to give the United States what the United States deserves? The answer is no. No, you don't want that. If, if we were to say, now, God, I, I don't think you're paying attention. Look, look more closely at what we're doing down here. Do you think that that would make God say, oh, 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 I see. Oh, I understand. Now, I, I know I'm treating God as if he's not all-knowing. Forgive me. I, I, I'm just using this as a thought experiment. No, the truth is, if we don't receive mercy, the United States is in trouble. All the nations of the world are in trouble. Don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying this nation's good. I'm saying we're all in trouble. We need God's mercy. We need God's mercy. I, I say we as in me, as in my family, as in our church. And you know what mercy does? Mercy, rightly understand, teaches us the fear of the Lord. I know I'm having you hold your place in James 5. Hold your place in Hosea 10. I want you to see it. Psalm 130. Psalm 130. And if, if you're struggling to get all these verses, write the verse down and look at it later. That's fine. Psalm 130. Psalm 130, verse 3. Psalm 130, verse 3, the psalmist writes, If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? He says, listen, God, if you were to take note of all the bad things that I do, forget it. Forget it. None of us deserve anything but hell. The Bible teaches us that. The wages of sin is death. He says, O Lord, if thou shouldest mark iniquities, who should stand? But verse 4, I love this. Verse 4, but there is forgiveness with thee. There is forgiveness. God, God doesn't mark all my iniquities. Praise the Lord. You, you don't need God to notice all the good things you're doing. You need God to forgive all the bad things you've done. But there is forgiveness with thee. But notice what he goes on to say, that thou mayest be feared. When we don't fear the Lord, we reveal to ourselves and to the people around us that we don't really understand God's forgiveness. God's forgiveness is not permission to do all kinds of evil and wickedness and then go back to God and say, hey, you got to forgive me. God's forgiveness comes out of his gracious, merciful, ever loving heart. He recognizes that if he marked all our iniquities, we would all be destroyed in an instant. And so he says, listen, I tell you what, I'm going to take all your iniquity and I'm going to put it on my son, Jesus Christ. So I can forgive you. Plant to your, sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy. We need God's mercy. We need to recognize the mercy we are already receiving. But we need God's mercy. Then he says, break up your fallow ground. Break up your fallow ground. Fallow ground is uh, property is land, fields that could be cultivated. There's nothing wrong with them. They're not uh, a poor soil. They, they don't have a, a, a problem. They just, farmers leave them alone. And they do this for crop rotation. They do this for pest control. They have a lot of reasons for having fallow ground. 
But God's telling his people here, and, and these people, they were mostly farmers, so they would have understood this very clearly. He says, sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground. He says, see that piece of property you've let just sit that isn't doing anything, that's unproductive. It could be productive, but you're not doing anything with it. He said, it's time to do something with that property. Are there talents? Are there talents that we have left undeveloped that God's given us? God's saying it's time to develop those talents. Are there people that we have not really worked to even get the gospel to? We'll use the word evangelize. We haven't even worked to evangelize them. Maybe we've been like Jonah. Maybe they're people we sort of hate, and frankly, we don't want them to hear the good news. That was Jonah's problem. Or maybe we're just lazy, or maybe we have a fear of man. And so there's people in our lives, neighbors and coworkers, maybe family members, maybe dear friends that we haven't given the gospel to because, well, frankly, we don't know why not. God says it's time to break up your fallow ground. How about times of prayer that we've neglected? I've had this happen this last week. I know God's saying, come on, Scott, it's time to pray. And I say, well, I know, but let me get this done first. And then guess what? I go through the rest of my day and I don't get to that time of prayer. What could be more important than prayer? Are there missed opportunities to join with others to worship our God? Because he is worthy. Why did you come this morning? Now, some of you came because you're just in a habit of coming and it feels odd to stay home. I'm happy for you. I really am. Make it a habit to be in church every, every single Sunday morning, Sunday night. I, I'm, I'm happy for you. Some of you came because your parents made you come, frankly. Parents said, hey, you're coming. You said, well, I don't want to go. It's too bad. Get in the car. I, I feel badly for you because I, I want you to look forward to coming. I, we, there are people, by the way, who pray for our children that they would enjoy coming to church. That's a great prayer request. Keep praying that. But maybe you just came today because you didn't have anything better to do. You looked outside. You said, boy, it's 40 degrees. It's cold. <laughs> I knew someone like this for a while. He would go to church when there was nothing better to do. <laughs> maybe that's your fallow ground. Break up your fallow ground. Breaking up our fallow ground requires us to recognize that the ex, to recognize the extra potential that is going unused in our lives. I've mentioned some things because I was hoping it would, it would cause you to think about your fallow ground. I don't know what your fallow ground is. Frankly, I don't want to know what your fallow ground is because I have enough problems with my own fallow ground. I believe the Holy Spirit, though, touches my heart. He did as I was preparing this message. I believe he touches your heart. And he says, hey, this is your fallow ground. If you don't recognize any fallow ground in your life, you say, boy, I'm 100% for God. I'm just doing the best I can. Praise the Lord. I'm so happy for you. But I think most of us are going to have to look at our eyes and say, yeah, there's some fallow ground. There's some potential that is going undeveloped, going unused in my life. That's the first step. The second step, after we've recognized that fallow ground, whatever it is, we have to believe that God could use that productively in our lives. You know why some of us don't break up our fallow ground? Because frankly, we don't think it'll yield any results, right? I'm not going to go out and plow a field and take time to plant if I think things are going to die. If I think they're never going to bring forth any fruit, I'm just going to leave it. Those of you that enjoy house plants, have you ever planted a flower hoping it would wilt and die? No. 
Now, that's why you take such careful preparation of the potting soil that goes into the pot. And sometimes I've seen people take little spray bottles and set it on mist and, you know, little mist. They can just pour water on it, right? No, no, you damage the plant, right? Why do they take such care? Because they believe that it will yield some result, some flower, some fruit that they will enjoy. Listen, until you believe that God can use your fallow ground productively, you won't take time to break it up. This is where that earnest expectation of the Spirit comes in. If you don't think the Spirit's going to work in your life, then you're right. Breaking up your fallow ground is just a lot of effort for nothing. I, I, I don't believe that to be true, otherwise I wouldn't be preaching this sermon, but I can see you thinking that. But if you believe that there's a Holy Spirit, and you believe that the Holy Spirit can work in your life, you want to go find that field that's been fallow for a while. You want to go find that place that, yeah, you've known about that potential, but you just haven't done much with it. And you want to say, Holy Spirit, let's break this fallow ground up. Let me get something planted here. Let me sow to myself in righteousness. And I'm going to seek the Lord until he comes and he rains righteousness upon me. Breaking up our fallow ground, we've recognized, here's my fallow ground. We've recognized, okay, here's the potential it has. Now, here's the third step. You've got to make changes. You've got to do something about it. I grew up in a time, maybe some of you did too, when seatbelts were not required. How, remember, how many of you remember when you didn't have to wear a seatbelt? Okay, great. And I remember my parents, dad would drive, right-hand side, uh, left-hand side, excuse me. Mom would sit on the right-hand side, and there would be a space between the seats. I remember being three or four years old and standing in that spot with my arms on either, on either seat, Right? And of course, my grandma, was, I was like, oh, you can't let him do that. If you slam into a car, he's going to go flying through the window. And in my three or four-year-old mind, I thought, Superman, fly, woo. What got you to change him? I, I'm guessing all of you wore your, well, I know one family didn't wear their seatbelts here, but uh, I'm guessing most of you wore your seatbelts here. What got you to change your mind? For me, it was seeing, yeah, law, great. For me, it was seeing pictures of people who had gone through their windshield. I thought, boy, I, I don't want that. So I committed to, to put my seatbelt on. Now it's become a habit, and I don't even think about it when I get in the car. Uh, it, just, it just happens. But here's my point. At the beginning of a habit, you have to consciously think about it. And whether it's the law that made you think about it, whether you got a ticket and it made you think about it, whether you saw some picture or... Most tragically, if you had a family member or a friend who was seriously injured in a car accident and they didn't have their seatbelt on, you made a change in your life. I'm asking you today to break up your fallow ground. I'm asking you to make some change in your life. Again, what the change is, I don't know because I don't know what your fallow ground is, but I trust the Holy Spirit to point out, here's your fallow ground and here's the change I want you to make. Let's go on a rabbit trail. That's why I'm not a big fan. I'm, again, I don't think there's anything evil here, but I'm not a big fan of asking a whole bunch of people to come down to the front at an invitation. I, I think there's a place for people to come to the front, especially if you need me to pray with you, especially if you're not saved and you want to get saved. But, you know, I've seen hundreds of people fill the front of an auditorium and it didn't change the church. I don't care whether you come down here or you make the change, you commit to make the change in your seat. 
I want it to change because the Holy Spirit wants it to change. And again, I don't need to pass out cards. What's your fallow ground? You list it. What's the change you're going to make? Because guess what? I can't even keep track of my own fallow ground. But I know the Holy Spirit, he can see right into my heart. He can see right into my mind. He can see right where you're at. He can tell you what your fallow ground is, and he can tell you what the change is. And I'm asking you to sow to yourselves in righteousness starting today. Break up your fallow ground. Commit to more prayer. Commit to pass out tracts. Commit to give the gospel to people. If we are unwilling to break up our fallow ground, if we're unwilling to make any changes to our lives, if we don't want to be pushed out of our comfort zone, then how can we say we have an earnest expectation of the Spirit working? If we are unwilling to carry an umbrella, should we pray for rain? If we're unwilling to set our sails, should we pray for and expect God to send a fresh wind? Now let's get to the last command here. So, reap, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. It is time to seek the Lord. It is time today. It is time to seek the Lord. Not after the holiday season, not when you turn 18, not when you turn 35 or 75 or whatever, not when you have kids or when you have grandkids or when you get a new job or you get a car, finish your, whatever thing you're waiting for, stop waiting. It is time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. If you're bothered as I am, and I know so many of you are, we talk. If you're bothered at the um, increasing lawlessness of our country, whether it's God's laws, there's increasing lawlessness, whether it's even just following the laws of our nation and state and city ordinances. If you're bothered by the increasing lawlessness in our society, I'll tell you what you need to do. You need to seek the Lord till he comes and he rains righteousness upon us. Notice the progression in this verse here. First thing we do is we plant. We plant something because if we don't plant anything, it can rain and rain and rain and rain. And you know what you're going to get? Weeds. Weeds. Some of you help me. In fact, I don't do it. There's a couple of you that from time to time go out and they spray the weeds on our property. And, you know, there's a period of time from about late June until sometimes September. We don't have to spray. There's no water. Very, very few weeds grow. But as soon as it starts raining, we got to get out there because there's weeds are going to pop up. And a lot of us have fallow fields full of weeds because the Holy Spirit's raining and raining and raining and we just didn't plant anything there. If you're going to seek the Lord, it's going to take priorities. It requires you to make Jesus Christ a priority in your life. There's no other way to say it. You say, well, what do you mean by priorities? Well, let me give you a, just a crazy, far-out example. I hope this isn't any of you, but there's a real example that I heard myself, my own ears. Fella has a job, regular job, and he wants to buy, I know that, forgive me, but this is crazy, but he wants to buy tickets to the new Taylor Swift concert series. I guess, I've seen the headlines, I guess the system broke. And buying tickets was a mess. 
he spent six and a half hours. He canceled meetings. Jesse, can you imagine calling your boss? Hey, boss, I can't come into work today. I got to cancel my meetings. Why? I got to buy Taylor Swift tickets. I, I can't even fathom that. Why did this man do that? Because he was a big Taylor Swift fan, I guess. Guess what? At least he knows what his priorities are. Now, I don't agree with his priorities. I don't plan to go to Taylor Swift's concert. I don't have any of her music. In fact, I can't name any of her songs. But don't hold that against me if you're a Taylor Swift fan. Here's the point. What are your priorities? Guess what? We're going to find out at 5 o'clock this evening. We are. Because we're going to meet to pray, praise the Lord and sing his praises. Now, some of you are going to be places where God wants you to be. I get that. Maybe you're going to be witnessing to a friend. Maybe you've got to go to work. We've got a firefighter back here. Maybe he's got to be at work. If you've got to be at work, go to work, okay? Seriously, I want him to be fighting fires. But if you're sitting in front of your television watching Sunday Night Football, guess what your priorities are? Is that fair? No, seriously, is that fair? If you're sitting in front of your television at 5 o'clock tonight, you're saying to God, I really think football is more interesting than whatever Elmira Baptist Church is doing tonight. And by the way, if if that's how you feel, then maybe you need to sit in front of your television. But I'm going to pray that the Lord stirs you up. So you set different priorities. We talked about this as men at the Wednesday night Bible study for the men. We talked about reading our Bible. And I I shared with my wife later, I was amazed. I was. I was just incredulous at some of the links these men go through. They have regular jobs. Some, some of them working overtime. They've got families, and yet they're finding ways that I would never imagine to spend time with God. Why? It's important to them. You say, I just don't have time. Listen, if you don't think you have time to read God's word, let me introduce you to some people who really don't have time. They're working 60, 70 hours a week. They've got a family. They're finding, they're making time. Why? Because it's important to them. If you say, I don't have time to read God's word, let me, inv- let me invite you to talk to some of these ladies who have little infant children. They don't have time, but they find time. They make time because it's important to them. If we're going to seek the Lord, we have to change our priorities. And we change our priorities when we're passionate about something, when we just really, really care. I mean, it's important to us. Before my wife and I were married, we attended one of these crazy colleges where they really tried to regulate your life. And they only gave us certain times when we could even see each other and talk to each other. It was really bizarre, if you ask me. But guess what? I knew what those times were. And I knew where she was going to be. And I took advantage of those times. Why? Because I loved her and I wanted to spend time with her. You know why our priorities are the way we are? Because all our priorities do is reveal what we really love, what our real passions are. And I I understand, I can't, let me be frank, I can't change my passions, I can't change your passions, but what we can do is we can pray. And I know Christians who've prayed, God, you have to change the way I feel because I just don't feel it. That's fine. Just talk to the Lord. Be frank. Tell him candidly what your problem is. He already knows. But you can tell him. And ask him to change things in your life, to change your priorities, to change your passions. And then keep at it. Perseverance. If we're going to seek the Lord till he rain righteousness upon him, we keep planting and we keep planting and we keep planting. If you're part of an agricultural society and it doesn't rain one year, you know what you don't do? 
You don't become a carpenter. That's not an option. You plant the next year. And if it doesn't rain two years in a row, guess what you do? You plant the third year. You just have to keep at it. You've just got to keep persevering. That's why I asked you to stay there in James chapter 5. Let's turn back there to James chapter 5 and look at verses 7 and 8 again. I'm asking you to keep sowing to yourself in righteousness, even if it doesn't seem like it's making a difference. I'm asking you to keep persevering in prayer, even if it doesn't seem that God is answering your prayers. I'm asking you to keep evangelizing and keep passing out tracts and keep giving people the truth of the gospel, keep telling people that Jesus saves, even if nobody's responding. I'm asking you to keep spending time in God's word, even if you're not absorbing anything from it and you feel like this is a waste of my time. Pray, beg God to open your eyes to reveal the treasures in his word. But don't give up reading and studying and meditating. And here's why. James 5, again, verse 7, be patient. Verse 8, be ye also patient. God's coming back. So patiently so. Patiently so. Patiently so. One day we are. We're going to stand before God. And you know what we all want to hear? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. But we're not going to hear that unless we have priorities and a passion and a perseverance that we're seeking the Lord till he come and he rains righteousness upon us. I think, here's my understanding of verse 7 there. There's an early and a latter rain. There's an early and a latter rain. That is, there are seasons of refreshing. That's a phrase out of the book of Acts. There are seasons of refreshing. And I'm one of those guys that I don't believe it's too late for another season of spiritual refreshing. Now, there are people who do, and they've talked to me. And if that's you, God bless you. I don't know what you want to do because there's nothing for you to hope for. But I believe we serve a God of hope. And I believe we can always come to God and say, God, would you refresh your people again? And he may say no. He may say, no, no, no. It's, you know, Jesus is coming back. God the Father knows when Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. It's fine. You know, don't need to worry about it. But guess what? I want to be on my knees begging God to send that season of refreshing until the day Jesus comes back. The early and the latter rain. Be also patient for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Both of these verses talk about the coming of the Lord and he doesn't say give up. He doesn't say just hold on. No, he says keep planting. He says the husbandman that laboreth waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth. There's a guy, he's busy, he's planting and he's waiting for the fruit. Here in our passage this morning, Hosea chapter 10, verse 12, seek the Lord till he come and he rain righteousness upon you. One more analogy, and I I know I'm going late, but one more analogy here. We all praise our forefathers. We think very highly of our forefathers who left the old world to come to the new world. They left a place that they knew, a place that they were aware of, to come to a new place that they really didn't know. Whether they came from England, or they came from Italy, or they came from Russia, or even if they came from Africa, if they they came from the Middle East, they left a place they knew to come to a place that they didn't didn't know, and they built themselves a life, a life here, a new life here. In my mind, and I'm, I'm talking metaphysically here, I know, I'm, excuse me, I'm talking metaphorically here, I'm talking metaphorically here, we are setting out for a brave new world. You, you think you know where the United States is going to be in 10 years? Would you let me know? We can make a lot of money. I don't think anyone knows where the United States is going to be in 10 years. 
But I know where God's going to be. God's going to be on his throne. And the closer we get to him, the more we seek him, the more we set ourselves in his will and, and we just serve and we plant and we sow to ourselves in righteousness and we, and we reap in mercy, the better place that is. That's the way we want to build our lives. If you're building your life on the stock market, seriously, God help you. If you're building your life on your career, God help you. If you're building your life on, on, on your home or anything other than God, you're going to need God's mercy. I'm going to need God's mercy. But let's seek the Lord till he come and he rain righteousness upon us. Let's determine that that is, that is the thing we're going to do. Sports, fine, but I'm going to seek the Lord. Cooking shows, fine, but I'm going to seek the Lord. My car, yep, got to maintain it, but I'm going to seek the Lord. My job, I got to go. Well, I, I have to go too. I get to seek the Lord at my work, but you got to go to work on Monday. Go to work. Yes, go to work. But determine you're going to seek the Lord until he come and he rain righteousness upon us. There's one hope for America. That hope has always been the same hope, Jesus Christ. We've just forgotten that. And I want to remind us again today, the hope is Jesus Christ. And we don't wait for the heathen to seek the Lord. Don't wait for the other church to seek the Lord. I don't want revival to begin at some other church, not because I, I'm in a competition, but because I love God. I want revival to begin here with us. It is time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon us. Think, as we get to this invitation now, let's, let's think, what is the fallow ground that the Holy Spirit has pointed out to you that you need to break up? What's keeping you from seeking the Lord? You need to get rid of that obstacle. And take this time of invitation to commit to make the changes that God's asking you to make. Father, I'm blessed to be a part of Elmira Baptist Church, to be surrounded by brothers and sisters in Christ who love me, who stand with me, who pray for me, who intercede for me, who have lifted up my arms when they were tired and weak, who've come alongside. And Father, as a group, as a church, as a, as a called-out assembly, we, we are begging for you to send your Holy Spirit to work in a new and a fresh way in our lives as individuals, in our families, our spouses, our children, our, our parents, our grandparents, our grandchildren. We're begging you to do something in this community, in Elmira, in Vacaville, that astounds the world and exalts you. Not so that we can get glory. Not unto us, O Lord. The psalmist says, not unto us. Unto thy name give glory. But we realize that the wickedness and the lawlessness and the reaping of iniquity is only going to grow worse until Jesus comes or until you send the latter rain. And so we ask, Father, that we would catch a fresh vision, have new eyes to, to seek you until you come and you rain righteousness upon us or until Jesus comes. We, we pray for that new vision to be patient like the husbandman who waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth until he received the early and the latter rain, to keep planting, to keep sowing to ourselves in righteousness, even if it doesn't seem to matter, so that when the rains fall, there's something to grow. So that when Jesus comes, we can hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Stir me up. Stir up my sisters, my brothers in Christ with fresh vision, fresh hope for our community, for our nation, for our church, for our children, for our grandchildren, for our parents. 
And this we pray in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, who's the righteous one who took our sins in his body, dying in our place, rising again, giving us victory over sin. It's in his name we pray for this victory. Amen.